<laughs> oh, why is there not a label on the wine? Tell me what's in it. Because the wine industry has fought aggressively and vigorously to keep nutritional and contents labels off of wine. Now think about this. Wine is the only substance, the only food product that you're consuming that you have no fucking idea what's in it. We are super fanatical about quantifying this process and this product. What we put in our body, what we think about, um, and that, that, that's really the essence of biohacking. So we're the only biohacked wine in the world. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% open source and natural supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more on building optimal mental and physical performance into your life, visit naturalstacks.com. Brian Muncy is probably the smartest guy I know. Trust me, Muncy is the nutrition guy. Ryan Muncy's out there trying to make the world better for all of us. The Optimal Performance Podcast is bold, edgy, creative, entertaining, and epic. Ryan Muncy is my go-to guy. Ryan Muncy is first guy I call. He's making people's lives better. Ryan Muncy's an innovator. All right. Happy Thursday, all you Optimal Performers. Ryan Muncy here, your host. Welcome to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. Today, we are hanging out with Todd White from Dry Farm Wines. Todd, thanks for hanging out with us. Hey, man. Glad to be here. It's just going to be, I'm really looking forward to your show. You guys do amazing work and just, I'm just excited to be here. Well, we appreciate the, the words. We appreciate your time. Um, for, for everybody listening, we ran into Todd at Paleo FX. Uh, we actually met you uh, for the first time at the Bulletproof Conference um, back in the fall. And if you're not familiar with Todd and Dry Farm Wines, um, Dry Farm Wines are the only Dave Asprey and Mark Sisson approved paleo, ketogenic, healthy wines. So as you might guess, we're going to talk about alcohol and wine today, how you can you know, incorporate these into your healthy lifestyle and still stay on track. Uh, but before we dive into all that, a couple of housekeeping reminders. Make sure you guys go to naturalstacks.com so you can see the video version of this along with show notes and links and resources to all the stuff that Todd mentions. Um, we'll also provide some some links to any of the, the numerous rabbit holes that I'm sure you can go down uh, based on what we bring up and, and provide in this episode. Uh, if you haven't done so yet, please go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, let us know how much you like the Optimal Performance Podcast. And if the show is helping you, if you find it beneficial, please share it with somebody else that you know uh, who will also benefit from what we're doing here at the Optimal Performance Podcast. All right, I'm going to stop talking. Todd? Let's do this. Start, I guess, by explaining to our listeners, what is Dry Farm Wines? I know you're in Napa, but you're not a vineyard. Is that correct? That's right. So we are the, the world's only health-quantified wine merchant. So that process, we only sell wines that are naturally made. And naturally made wines is a very specific protocol of winemaking. There are about 10 winemakers in the U.S. who practice this pro protocol, uh, between 10 and 20 maybe. Uh, there's about 500 in Europe. Uh, there are three or 400,000 winemakers worldwide, and only about 500 of them practice this specific health-quantified protocol for making wine. And I'm going to explain what that protocol is and why it's so important. But Dry Farm Wines, we're a community of 
basically biohackers and people who have a deep commitment to what they eat and drink, or as I like to say about biohacking, is the art and science of the neurological and biological effects and outcomes of our behavior. And that behavior is primarily from thinking, eating, and drinking, right? And so that's, the, that's what we put in our body, what we think about, um, and that, that, that's really the essence of biohacking. So we're the only biohacked wine in the world. So no, we don't make wine, right? We, we're a wine merchant. So we go out and we find these wines that are made in a very specific protocol, and then we lab quantify them. So once we determine a farmer and his wine, his farming and winemaking protocols, which we'll talk about, we then, if we like the wine, and again, all of our, all of the vintners, all the winemakers, that wine growers, really, and we'll talk about this, wine is really grown in the vineyard. Wine in America, commercial wine, is made in a factory, right? Real wine is made in the vineyard because once it comes, once the fruit comes out of the vineyard and goes to the cellar, right, it's nothing happens there. It's just ferments, right? Uh, commercial wines are manipulated, additives, crazy additives. There's 76 chemical additives approved by the FDA for the use in winemaking. Now, why don't you know this? <laughs> or why is there not a label on the wine telling you what's in it? Because the wine industry has fought aggressively and vigorously to keep nutritional and contents labels off of wine. Now, think about this. Wine is the only substance, the only food product that you're consuming that you have no fucking idea what's in it. Right? That's fascinating. Boy, right. Well, you think about right. it. Everything else has a label on it to tell you what's in it. Yeah, I, I hadn't right. noticed that before, but you're, you're absolutely right. Well, there's right. no – right. Well, well, the only thing that's noted on a wine label by law is the alcohol. And guess what, my friend? That, by law, is not required to be accurate. So if it says 14%, it could be 155 or 16%, and that's legal. Right? That's the reason one of the tests that we perform on wines, all of our wines are 12.5% in alcohol and below, right? Standard commercial wines, 14 plus percent, 14 to 17%. Now, why is that important? Because alcohol is toxic. It's a poison. So is water and oxygen in the wrong dosage, right? So dosage really, really matters with alcohol, right? So what I'm looking for, because like you, uh, I presume that you drink, like most of your listeners drink, uh, all of my community and culture drinks, right? And so I don't sit down and have a glass of wine. You probably don't either, right? right? I have several over the course of an evening. I drink a bottle every night, right? Sometimes two, but let's just call it a bottle, bottle and a half a night. I had some customers in visiting from Utah last night, and I'm afraid we exceeded a bottle. But, but anyway, so, but, so, so if you're going to drink throughout the evening, what you want to do with the correct dosage of alcohol, so what alcohol does on the, on the beneficial side, we can talk about the not-so-beneficial side in a moment because, it, because it's poisonous and it's toxic. Drinking too much alcohol is unhealthy. Right, it's it's one of the it's one of the primary health hazards in the world. Right. right, right. So now, because alcohol is a domino drug, 
just like cocaine or many, many drugs. Alcohol is a recreational drug, and, and it's a domino drug. What I mean by that is it kind of pulls you in, so the dominoes fall. The more you drink, the more you get pulled into it. Right. Right? Right. So that's both a chemical process and a psychological one. It's a neurological benefit, So I mean, or, or, or situation. So the, the more you drink, the more you get pulled into it, and then we get overserved. Um, the reason to, to dial back the alcohol to, to control the dosage is that when, when we begin with an underlying lower dose, we have less of an opportunity to become overserved, negating all of the health benefits. So I'm sure your listeners and you have heard that you know moderate red wine is healthy. Well, that's true. But the, the key is we've got to keep it moderate. And moderation for me and for most of your listeners doesn't mean having a glass. Right. Right? That's not how we drink. That's some people do, but certainly it's not how my friends drink, and that's certainly not how I drink. I want to have three or four over the course of an evening with dinner with friends. And here's the benefit of alcohol. This is what alcohol does that is like so amazing. All right. So alcohol is going to give you that sense of euphoria, this is on the low side, on the dosage side. So when the dosage is correct, we're getting an increased euphoria and we're getting really some vulnerability, some, some lifting down of our, of our screen so that when we're drinking together in, in the perfect setting around the dinner table, around the community and culture, right, with food and wine, so it's important to also eat when you drink, right? right. So... This helps mitigate the, the, the amount of dosage that's actually entering your bloodstream. So what, what we have is we're having an increase in euphoria. We're having creative expression, right? So there's an explosion of, of creative expression, and we're having fun, and we're laughing, and we're telling stories, and we're, we're having increased vulnerability. So we allow ourselves to be more accessible, right? That's the benefit of alcohol, at the right dosage. Now, you and I both know because we've both been overserved. I'm sure you've been overserved before. Once or twice. Right. I went to college. Exactly. So, <laughs> right. So, exactly. So, overservice is like, this, this, is, this is a problem. I call them glorious exceptions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, we're going to have glorious exceptions in our life. It's just like I'm ketogenic, right? I've been ketogenic for two years, I've been out of ketosis in two years, maybe a dozen times. But I, when I fall down, right, so occasionally we fall, then we pick ourselves up, we brush off, we move forward, right? That's, that's the journey of life. And so I, you have glorious exceptions. You're going to have another one. I'm going to have another one. These things happen. The glorious exception are like bachelor parties and out with your bros and, you know, and, <clears throat> you know kicking it up in a bar and uh, a wedding or, you know, these, these are glorious exceptions and these are going to happen. You're going to be overserved, but as a, gen- and that's not healthy, but it's, fu- it, it can be fun. Right. 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 So as a general rule, we've got to keep the dosage in check. And for me, what that means and the point I'm making is that we've got to dial down the underlying alcohol content of the beverage. That's the reason all of our wines are between nine and 12%, 12.5%. Nothing exceeds that. Okay. So if you're drinking an 11% bottle of wine, you can drink a whole bottle and you're going to feel fine, right? You're going to get a nice, gentle lift. Uh, you're going to get a nice, kind of euphoric sense of place. And, and ideally, again, food and wine and community being sitting around the table, right, 
it's just, you know, with your friends, and this is when your creative expression is just gets bright and shiny, and it's just a lot of fun, right? right? right. But never going over that over that plateau. Right. Because we get on the other side of it. I'm not talking about even being messy, but when we get on the other side of that plateau in terms of the alcohol dose, we start to lose cognitive connection. So we're not bonded anymore. Now we're just now we're just fucking partying, right? right. <laughs> and so I mean, which is also fun again, but it's not healthy. So how do we find that threshold safely? Well, you're going to feel it. So you've got to begin. This is the reason like you know, my friend Rob Wolf, who endorses Dry Farm Wines, and Rob's an awesome guy and a, and a terrific writer and speaker and one of the leaders in the paleo movement. And um, I just did his podcast two weeks ago, <clears throat> and he's, he's a terrific guy. You know, he promotes the – or previously promoted only this idea of the NorCal margarita, which is three ounces of tequila, some sparkling water, a club soda, and, and some lime juice, right? Mm-hmm. Very healthy. Tequila is super distilled. It's pure. It's clean. It's a plant product. Um, it's you know it's 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 super healthy as spirits go. Right. And I understand the argument for distilled spirits and their purity, but here's where the problem is with it for me. The problem is that the alcohol dose is just too high, right? So again, you're not going to have one margarita, NorCal margarita. You're going to have three, right? And we're talking about 40% alcohol as opposed to 11% or 12%. And it's just a huge difference. You're going to drink the same amount. And you're going to drink three or four. You know, this, this is how people drink. Right. Right. But the problem is the alcohol dosage for me is just too high. Right. And so you're going to have a drink of euphoria. And the second and third drink is just going to go off into Neverland. Right. Which is, which is fun. We're still bonding. We still have this connection. We just don't have this cognitive, creative expression. Right. Because we're just now we're just into party mode, right? You, right? you don't have the ability to to make business deals or or create ideas that can lead to new things, as you know. By comparison, like you said, it's just it's your party and it's 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 fun right, in the right. moment. Just, it's fun in the moment, but you don't have the the mental capacity to to you know create or build anything. It's also super unhealthy. Right. Let's be clear. Right, it's poisonous. Right, and right. the next day you feel poisoned. Right, and I think right? that's. That's the one thing that, that I think I want to make sure we convey to the listeners is that, you know, look, we're not saying, you know, go out and get hammered every night. But what we are saying is that if you want to consume alcohol, there is a healthy option. If you're going to consume alcohol and, 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 and we know that moderate use of alcohol is healthy, there's a ton of studies on it. We, we, we know that we know this is a good thing. If you're going to consume alcohol, just my job. And what I do is to help people think about it, right? Right. So think about what you're going to drink. Think about how you're drinking and think about that outcome, right? And so my job is education. So anyway, so here's – so we created this – because I like to drink and I love wine. I've been drinking wine for 30 years. Uh, love drinking wine. I drink wine every day. I don't drink during the daytime because – it shuts off my fat burning. So as a ketogenic, I'm super consumed with, with burning fat as energy. And um, can, we, can we talk so, about that real fast before we go sure. down that other road? Is you know, um, So highlight that for our listeners just so that, so that they're aware that you know, when you introduce alcohol into the system, it is seen as a toxin. 
it will be burned for fuel instead of ketones if you're in ketosis or, or whatever pre-alcohol fuel system you were using. Alcohol becomes that fuel, has to get processed and get out of the body. And then, That's right. And then and only then could you return back to now, that pre-alcohol state. That's right. So let's talk about that for a moment. And we just, I just did, I just did blood testing with these people last night. So I do, I do blood testing for ketone production daily. Mm-hmm. And I also, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, I'm speaking this weekend at a keto conference in Florida. Um, and my, one of my passions in, in, in terms of helping people is, in, is, to really evangelize around the ketogenic diet. Right. That being said, <clears throat> my wines, our wines do not take you out of ketosis. This is very important because they're sugar-free and they're carb-free. They do not take me out of ketosis. So last night, I tested, pre-tested before this tasting and drinking with these customers who were visiting the Napa Valley where I live. So I tested it 3.1 molar milliliters of, uh, of ketone, which is fairly high, right, right. Um, pre-drinking. An hour later after tasting what uh, was a dozen wines, and we uh, tasted some 12 or 13, 14 wines over the course of an hour. I tested an hour later at 2.8, which is really a statistical rounding, right? right? right. And so <clears> – <throat> So my wines, our wines have no effect on ketone production. That's very important because commercial wines will. Commercial wines will take you out of ketosis. And that's something right? that, they, that we're going to highlight in the show is, is the difference. And, and that's Right. We're going we're gonna to talk about that. Not to skip ahead, but that's because of the additives, right? Additives and, and also the fermentation process, which leaves behind sugar. Right. We'll get into that in a moment. Okay. Back to the energy burning. So my objective, my objective from from a diet point of view, is to suppress insulin production and to lower blood sugar. Right. That's my that's my goal in in my dietary programming, nutritional programming. I hate the word diet because it's so associated with celebrity ideas. Right. 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 Kim Kardashian's diet. Right. Right. So. I, don't, I hate the word diet, so I, I prefer to re- refer to it as nutritional program. I, I, I right? use the word diet uh, the way most people uh, – or I think the analogy that I've always used is weather and climate, right? So you've always got weather going on, um, but, you know, climate right. is this there, – There's climate is, is big picture, weather is day-to-day. And, um, you know, sometimes it does rain in Florida, but – as you mentioned before right. we came on, you're going to Tampa in June. There is an association that we all have with Tampa in June, uh, and that's because of that the norm, what what normally occurs, not those glorious exceptions as you call them. Right, right, exactly. So, so anyway, so but here's what happens: anytime you ingest, anytime you put something in your body that has no storage facility, right, your body is going to process and expel it. Right, unless it can store it, it has to expel. Mm-hmm. Well, alcohol expels, mm-hmm. and alcohol. Whenever you ingest alcohol, fat burning is going to shut down, mm-hmm. and alcohol is going to be burned as your primary source of energy. Fat burning will shut down. Now, ketones don't shut down. I quickly resume as soon as alcohol is metabolized. I'm going back to fat burning. It's one of the reasons 
one of several reasons I don't drink during the daytime. I just, I don't enjoy the experience. I mean, it's fun, <laughs> but I don't enjoy the body experience and the neurological experience of drinking during the daytime. Right. I mean, it's a hell of a lot of fun. Let's be clear. Right. You know, having a big boozy lunch is a great time, but it's going to shut down fat burning. And my goal in nutritional programming is to suppress insulin production, which my wines have no impact on blood sugar or insulin, but to suppress insulin, uh, to lower blood sugar and to, uh, to enhance the production of ketones and, and as a result, fat burning. Right. Right. So, um, this is really critical to everything I believe about nutritional programming. So anyway, that, so I don't drink during the daytime for that reason, because I don't want to shut down. I don't want to shut down my fat burning because alcohol is going to burn off and as your primary source of energy. But let's talk for a moment about why our wines are different and why we're endorsed by virtually every health leader. Um, uh, the list is long. I won't bother to name drop, but we're endorsed by virtually everybody. I've been on the podcast circuit uh, talking about this um, over the last year. And as you know, we met originally at Bulletproof Conference, where we'll be again this year, the official wine, the only alcohol sponsor at Bulletproof, Dave Asprey, who doesn't really drink right. much, um, endorses our product and speaks about it quite frequently. Um and is is a big fan of what we do. And part of the reason that Dave is a big fan is because we are super fanatical about quantifying this process and this product. And Dave is, Dave is, you know, Dave is ground zero for quantification. Right. And so they vetted us. I've, of course, done Dave's podcast. And, and I know Dave quite well because we travel around uh, to many of the same conferences and mastermind groups and where we're the wine sponsor for all these things. And because we're the only healthy alcohol on the planet yeah. in a quantified process. So here's, here's what we do. We only sell low alcohol naturally. Now you would think all wines are natural, but that's not true. No. Right? right. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. So we only sell Natural wines, which are a very, very specific farming protocol and a very specific winemaking protocol. Now, let's talk about U.S. wines and what's happening in the wine industry. So like most of agribusiness, the wine industry has consolidated. 51% of all the wine made in the United States is made by just three companies. Wow. Over half. Right. If you take the top 70% of all wine made in the United States, right? 70% is made just by the top 30 companies. Wow. That's it. Yeah. Right? And so this concept, they don't want you to know that, right? So they hide behind thousands of brands and labels because they want you to believe that you're drinking from a chateau or a farmhouse, right? Well, that's not true. That's what you think. Because these are experts. This is a multi-billion dollar industry, right? These are experts in lifestyle marketing, experiential marketing. So they want you to believe that you're having this sort of, you know, amazing natural experience. Well, the fact of the matter is, if you're drinking any wine, now I mean, this is a pretty universal state. If you're drinking any wine at all, you're more than likely, 99.999% of all the wines in the marketplace 
are commercial factory products. They're highly manipulated, highly manipulated farming, poisonous farming, killing the earth and the soil. We talk about Monsanto. Roundup is the number one herbicide, the number one chemical used in U.S. vineyards. Let's be perfectly clear. Roundup, I don't know if you know this, Roundup worldwide sells 225 million pounds a year, right? That's so ridiculous. we're poisoning the earth. Right. We're poisoning the earth. So this is what happens in American farming, and it's a global problem, but it's certainly, certainly an American problem. So we'll come back to chemicals and farming in a moment. You're going to ask a question? Well, I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, you said if chances are if you're drinking wine and 99% of wine is commercially uh, processed or produced, how would the, the consumer, I mean, what should they look for? How would they know uh, other than just getting it from you? I mean, is there a way that we as consumers well, the only, well, can, can figure yeah, that they, out? Listen, they, they can, but not in most places. Here's the problem. Natural wines, as I mentioned early on, there's three, four hundred thousand winemakers worldwide. It's a global, it's a huge industry, right? right? Um, only less than 500 make, quote, natural wines. So if your audience wants to know about natural wines, which is what we sell, now we take it one step further. So we sell natural wines that we also do then independent, certified analogist who works who is an independent lab that tests wines for us. So we quantify wines with our own independent lab testing because we're fanatical to make sure that what's in the bottle, we've tested it for our standards of purity. And we'll come back to that. So we're the only place in the world where you can get these lab tested, quantified, guaranteed standards of purity. And you guys, now, do you guys publish those tests and studies? We, 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 we do okay. to our members. Okay. So here, here, but but here's here's what here's what your what your listeners can do. If you go online and you search the term natural wines, it's a category. It's very tiny. It's mainly in Europe. But if you search natural wines on Google, you're going to see a whole bunch of published articles. Bloomberg covered it recently. All the food food and wine magazines have covered it. You'll see a bunch of articles published on natural wines. And I'm going to tell you what that protocol is, but. There's a protocol for, quote, natural wines. And most of your listeners, and I would have thought, not having known and been educated, that all wines are natural. Isn't it like just fermented grape juice? No, it's not. Again, there are 76 chemical additives approved by the FDA. Your friends at the government have approved 76 additives for the use in winemaking. You can search FDA-approved wine additives online. You can see the nasty list yourself, right? But, see, the public doesn't know that. And I'm telling and I'm spreading the deep, dark secret of the wine business because they try to keep this secretive. They don't want you to know. Nobody knows this until I tell them. Right? <laughs> Have you had any uh, uh, men in black suits knock on your door, ask you to – Listen, to... dude, I live in the heart of the Napa Valley <laughs> where poisons are rampant, right? But these are my friends. You know, of course I get you – know, of course I get criticism. But you know I don't need to tell you. You're, you do public work. You're in a controversial nutritional set. I mean, you understand that people are going to, they're going to say, oh, you know, there's not enough science behind this. Look, here's the fact. If you're going to do anything in life, if you're going to change anything, if you're going to contribute to anything, you're going to be criticized. Let's be perfectly clear. Yeah. Criticism comes with the game. Yeah. 
So if you, if your skin's not thick enough to take the criticism, get out of the space, right? <laughs> right. Because right. as you know, there's going to be, I, I mean, I met with your scientist and founder when we were at Paleo FX and, you know, I went over to your booth and talked to your guy and he's awesome and super brainy. and Avalard. <laughs> that was Yeah, Avalard. talking way, <laughs> dude, talking way outside of my scope, right? And I was like, okay. And I was like, just try to digest it all, right? But this shit is going to be controversial, right? right? right. Because here's what I like to so say. People are like, well, what about this ketogenic diet thing? I mean, do you think it's healthy? And I'm like, you know, what's the science say? And I was like, well, listen, well, there's a ton of science around it. There's a ton of, there's a ton of published work about it. But what about the long-term effects? Well, you know, we don't have published long-term effects of, of, of ketogenic diet. Here's what we do know is that people were living in ketosis for a couple million years, so it seemed to work out okay, <laughs> right? Right. So, so we, we know that intermittent fasting, we know that up until, you know, some 12,000 years ago with the agricultural revolution, right, uh, we, we, we know that, that people were living in ketosis all the time because they were intermittently eating, right? They didn't have access to food all the time. Right, right. They certainly didn't have access to fruit, right? This whole concept of fruit as health food is this kind of this huge huge American, you know, kind of modern idea. I mean, the fact of the matter is that people didn't have access to fruit uh, than a hand in most places around the world, certainly in America, uh, in, in a handful of times a year. Right. 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 And that fruit was not this highly sugary kind of manufactured product that you have today. If you've ever eaten a wild orange off a tree, you know, it doesn't taste like anything like you get in the grocery store. <laughs> It's quite, they're quite, they're quite bitter actually. Right. 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 So anyway, so this, 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 this concept of, of this idea that, that we know the long-term effects of many of the, the programs that you and I are involved in ketogenic is an example for me, the nutrition that you're, that you guys research and sell. The fact is we don't have, we don't have control groups and long-term studies on any of this yet, but here's what we do know. We know that when you biohack, we know, I love the proverb, to feel is to understand, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I can talk to you about ketogenic. You can talk to me about your nutritional program, your, your, your supplements, a natural stack. But until I engage and understand and feel that outcome, right, that's when I know it's the right thing. It's when you feel it. And, and you, you, you say, yes, this, I I think I'm optimized here or I'm not optimized. And so I also like to say about ketogenic diet and all biohacking that I'm engaged in, cold thermogenesis, breath work, you know, meditation, all the intermittent fasting, all of the protocols that I practice daily is that by the time the science catches up with what I know I feel, I will have missed much of the benefit. Right. Right. So if I wait for science to catch up, I'm going to miss the benefit of what I know works because I can, I'm in touch with my body and my body speaks to me as it does for your audience and for you because when you're in touch with your body, it speaks to you. Yeah, and that's something that we've talked about with several of our guests is, you know, as you experiment with these different things, you know, our goal with the podcast here is, you know, each week we're trying to present a high performer or scientist or somebody who – you know, may in some way be able to share their own variation of, you know, what we're doing. And, and any of these things that we implement into our life, it's, you know, look, does this work for me? 
you know, does it, if it doesn't work, you know, if, if, if you, if you try CrossFit and it doesn't work for you, meh, it doesn't work for you. If you try a ketogenic diet and it works for you, great, keep doing it. Um, so let's, let's try to go back. Um, I, I, I just really want to highlight the fact that, that you can drink a bottle of wine and not get kicked out of ketosis. So you mentioned that we would come back to that. Can, can you elaborate on, on how that's happening? Right. So let's begin on the farming side. Okay. <clears throat> there are two practices in winemaking. There are two protocols. You have farming and you have winemaking. And those are very separate. So you can have organic or biodynamically farmed wine, right? And then the winemaking practices are still filled with adjustments and additives. This is very common. It's like, oh, well, you know, so-and-so winery is, you know, biodynamic or it's organic. It's like, okay, cool. But, but what's happening in the cellar is where the problem comes in. So if you have clean farming, then you have... Then you, then you have cellar work. So let's go to the farming on, the, on, on, the, on one side. We'll cover that first. So on the farming side, all of our wines are dry farmed. And what that means, our name, dry farm wines, that name represents the foundation of our thinking. And our thinking is, is that we want to consume a 100% pure, natural product made in nature's logic. And that's the way I eat wild whole food. I don't eat any processed food. I don't eat sugar. I don't eat anything that's, I don't eat any flour. I don't eat processed food. I eat whole wild real food. And I drink the same way. So all of our 99.999, as many nines as you want to put on it, percent of vineyards in the U.S. are irrigated. Now that's a very, very big deal. Okay. It, irrigation is the first intervention in nature's logic for grape farming, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to follow nature's logic. I want a whole, pure, wild product. Now, grapevines have been growing for thousands of years unirrigated all over the world, right? Yeah. Irrigation is an American idea. In fact, irrigation for grape farming in Europe is illegal. Right? Why is it illegal? Because the Europeans who've been making wine thousands of years longer than we have, <clears throat> Europeans know what I know. When you irrigate a grapevine, it fundamentally changes the quality and character of the fruit. Right? Now, Americans, they don't really give a shit about that so much. Here's why irrigation is profitable. Why is irrigation profitable? It creates a higher yield. And guess what? When you pump fruit with water, it weighs more. Right. Right? Right. Fruit is sold by the ton. More it weighs, more profitable it is. Right. So like most of agribusiness in the U.S., now becoming a global problem, but certainly the U.S. is the leader in this, like much of agribusiness, we're not trying to make wine better. We're not trying to make wine healthier. We're trying to make it faster and more profitable. Right. That begins with irrigation. It then, so here's the story on irrigation. And so an irrigated grapevine has a root ball that's about three or four feet deep and in diameter. It's a little deeper than it is wide, right? 
That's three or four feet. That's it. Like, it's this big. An unirrigated grapevine has a root structure that can reach 50 feet deep, right? Here's why. The irrigated grapevine gets all of its water and nutrient, because they put nitrogen in the water, right? It gets fertilized. So it gets all of its water and nutrient from a little drip hose just above its trunk. That's how it feeds and lives. This makes for an unhealthy vine. This makes for a lazy, lazy vine. Right. Lazy vines produce lazy fruit, right? Now, what does that mean? It gets picked later because to get the proper phenolic development in the flavoring of the taste of the fruit, because the, 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 the wine, if you're not using additives and adjustments and all these chemicals, the wine is about 98% of its taste and quality comes from the juice, right? You look at a tomato. If you buy, you know, a tomato in the grocery store in the winter time, and you open it up, it's mealy and nasty and kind of fleshy and white. You squeeze the juice from it if you can get any juice from it, right? right? Versus you take a vine ripe tomato, summer hot, you know, beautifully naturally ripe tomato, and you squeeze the juice. First of all, it's going to be soft and delicious yeah. and sexual, right? You squeeze the juice from it. That juice is going to taste way different than the other juice. Yeah. Well, that's the same thing with wine until you start adding and manipulating it, which none of our wines do. And we'll talk about what happens when we get to the second part of the protocol, which is winemaking practices. But on the farming side, to begin with, all of our wines are dry farmed. This produces a much deeper, more complex fruit that has less water. It's more concentrated. It has more character. And in Europe, as worldwide, it would be known as terroir. Right, So it really is a reflection of the place where it's grown, the soil that it's grown in, the climate. But we're not doing anything to interrupt nature's logic in that farming. Then all of our wines are also organically or biodynamically farmed. So organic is, the, is, is sans any chemicals. So that's chemicals in growing and chemicals in treating the vineyard. <clears throat> so no poisons to kill things. And no nitrogen, no synthetic fertilizers to enhance growth, right? right? 100% living soil, living earth. It's, it's a whole biodiverse living place. And that also right? means none of that stuff gets into our body down the road. That's right. Okay. That's right. One, actually, they, you know, a group just did a recent screening on California wines and found even on organic farms, Roundup present, very small, very small amounts, but Roundup present in 100% of the wines tasted from three Appalachians in California. So, so it, this this chemical free farming is a big deal, but it's also very important. It's, it's also, also very important from from a sustainability practice. I mean, we have to save the earth, and we're killing the earth. We're killing ourselves. That. You know, the, the Sapiens have been walking around for two and a half million years, right? Terrific book uh, recently pub- published titled Sapiens. If you haven't read it, you should read it It's or get it on Audible. It's a 15-hour Audible, so it's, it's a nice. monster book. Nice, okay. But, um, but really, you know what? Uh, crazy, crazy author whose uh, who's crazy name, and I can't remember. Okay. We'll put a link to that uh, in the show notes for you guys listening. Yeah, but Sapiens, yeah, it's, it's an amazing book. It really talks about 
the 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 progress of mankind. In in the book, you know, he 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 talks most certainly that you know we've had two and a half million years since we've been walking around, seventy thousand years since the cognitive revolution. You know, science is only five hundred years old, but but what he what he what he remarks is that we certainly won't see another two and a half million years for sure. I mean, so we're destroying the planet quickly, right? So this idea of everything we can do to to distance ourselves from these poisons is not only good for our body, it's good for the earth, right? right? So on the farming side, all organic biodynamic, fruit gets harvested. <clears throat> I would say our farmers, who are kind of radical hippies, right? I mean, they don't make much wine. You can't, winemaking at, at these production levels is not profitable. The only reason they can make these wines and our wines average $22 a bottle, right? So they're affordable for a fine wine product. Is because these are multi-generational land stewards in Europe. So they've owned this land for 100, 150, 200 years, right? right? Okay. And so they're kind of hippie activists. They, they care about how they live and what they drink, right? And they're not ketogenic. They're not biohackers. These are just like hippies, right? right? Who really care about this process. So harvest about 30 to 40 percent of our farmers still plow by horse right wow okay about 40 percent still plow with a horse right so I mean, this is just how radical this yeah. is just how commit they are to what they right. do okay right okay plowing by horse is not profitable <laughs> right? no so it, it, anyway so then on the winemaking side this is very important so you got dry farming organic biodynamic. Then we pick the fruit, we bring it into the cellar, nothing added, nothing taken away, period, end of story, nothing but grapes. Now, here's, here's an interesting fact. In fermentation, 99.999, add as many nines as you want, percent of all the wine in the marketplace and everything you're drinking, unless it's coming from us, is made with commercial, genetically modified yeast. So here's how you make wine. You inoculate yeast with grape juice, which has sugar in it. The wine, the, the, the yeast eats the sugar. And as the yeast eats the sugar, the byproduct of that is ethyl alcohol and carbon dioxide. That's how you make wine. It's how you make any kind of alcohol, except in the distilled spirit. But you can make, it's how you make kombucha, right? It's a fermented product. Yeast eats, eat, eats sugar. Right. And the result of that, depending upon what you're making, is a fermented, is a fermented outcome. Right. Right. Now, the reason our wines are sugar-free and carb-free and keto-friendly, the reason that our wines are sugar-free is because our winemakers, as a matter of protocol, allow the wine to be fully fermented. What that means is that the yeast eats all of the sugar. And at the end of that process the yeast will die because it has no more food to live, right? And so it's a fully fermented product. Now, here's what's happening in 99 and the nines, a percent of all the rest of the wines that are made. The winemaker uses a chemical to kill the yeast before, before it fully ferments. Why? Leaving To leave sugar behind because sugar tastes good and the American palate is addicted to sugar and sweet things. So when you're drinking commercial wines, you're drinking what's known in the industry as RS or residual sugar. Okay. 
That is residual sugar left behind intentionally by the winemaker to make it sweet. Right? right. So you get these long caramelly finishes and this big mouthfeel and this long, you know, this is all sugar. Huh. Right? Okay. Well, sugar is fucking poison. Right. Right. So from my perspective, sugar is health enemy number one. Right. Right. right? So I want sugar be gone. Right. Average American eats 142 pounds of sugar a year. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Yeah. I eat probably less than half a pound because somehow it got in my life. Right. 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 In the way that I don't eat commercial salad dressings. I don't eat I don't eat anything with sugar. Right. <clears throat> right. But still somehow probably half a pound or so finds its way in my life somehow. But I'm not gonna drink it, that's for sure. Right? Right. So right. sugar in wines can range from zero to three hundred grams per liter. All right now, Coca-Cola is 108 grams per liter. All right, so now when we're talking about two and three hundred grams per liter in wine, we're talking about dessert wines, ice wines, late harvest. You know, they're intentionally made to be super, 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 super sweet. Right. All right. Right. But on the low side for commercial wines, even red wines, which tend to be the driest, white wines have more sugar than than, than reds typically. Commercial wines range from 10 to about 50 grams per liter, about half that of a Coca-Cola, right? Okay. And so I don't want that poison in my body. I don't want your listeners drinking that poison. So what we do, as I mentioned earlier, is we use a third-party certified analogist to test all of our wines because you can't tell from the way it tastes. It may not taste sweet specifically, but it still contains sugar because if the acid is high enough in, in a wine, if the acid is high, it doesn't taste sweet. Same thing with lemonade, right? You start off with a little bit of sugar, you're going to taste that acidity, right? The more sugar you put in it, the less you're going to taste that acid. Right. You right. get more of a balance. So this is what happens in wine as well. Okay. So go ahead. Well, so then well, I guess obviously the sugar has the the health downsides associated with sugar, but in commercial wines, is it the sugar then that's left over that causes like red wine headache and, and the hangover stuff? Or is that because of all of the other chemicals and additives? Here's what we know from science. <clears throat> the answer is we don't know. Okay. All right. Uh, we don't know conclusively. But here's why our wines do not give you a hangover. Guaranteed. No, hangover free wine. All right. Here's why. Because there's nothing in it, right? It's made with so if so. Let me get back to the yeast for a moment. So 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 when wine is made with a commercial yeast, this is a factory product. Our wines are made with native wild yeast that is present in every vineyard on the planet. So on the outside of a grape skin, there is naturally occurring yeast, and that is the yeast used to ferment our wines. It, it's made with its own indigenous yeast. Right. So that's a big deal. That's a natural product. That's naturally occurring. If you go pick ripe grape vines off of a and throw it in a bucket and put it in the corner, you'll have wine making in a few days. Right. Because the yeast is already present. The very first thing a commercial winemaker does is kill the natural yeast. He uses a chemical to kill it. 
because it's less predictable. It's too risky to deal with. It's very temperamental, right. a wild yeast. Right. right. What you have with a native yeast, it needs to be coddled. You can't make large amounts of wine with it and control the process. So the first thing commercial wine does is kill the, kill the yeast. And then they inoculate the wine with a commercial yeast. And that's how they begin their fermentation because commercial yeast gives them a lot of control of the process and it allows them to make higher alcohol wines. See, a, a, a native yeast will die at about 13 or 13.5% alcohol because alcohol will kill the yeast, right? right. So, so that's the reason all of our wines are lower in alcohol, right? Because they begin with a lower sugar product. So sugar in the grape, remember I said earlier in an irrigated grape, you have to pick it later at higher sugar to get proper phenolic flavoring, right? Mm-hmm. So they're picking it when it's much riper. The riper it gets, the higher the sugar content. Right. The higher the sugar content in the juice corresponds with a higher alcohol level. Right. So that's just kind of how that's kind of how the, the science works. But <clears throat> so to the hangover issue, which you ask about. So we don't know, but here's what here's what leading science believes and suggests is that most people think because every bottle of wine has the, the, the label on it that says contains sulfites, right? So most people believe that that sulfites are causing red wine hangovers because you never hear people say, oh, I have a white wine hangover. It's specific to reds. Right. Sulfites are actually, sulfites and sugar for that matter, are actually higher in white wines than they are reds. But you hear people typically having uh, a, a, a negative reaction to red wines. And I drink red wines pretty much exclusively, as most of our clients do. But here's what happens with the red wine. So how you get color in a wine is from contact with the skin, right? So red wines are macerated or fermented with skin contact. White wines are not. So if you squeeze the grape from a red, a red, white, a red wine grape and you squeeze the grape from a white wine grape, both of those juices are clear. So red grapes produce a clear juice. How you get color in red wine is from contact or maceration with the skin, right? For everybody who, that's just a quick wine-making grape lesson, right. right? That's how you get color in red wine. Here's the problem. Hangovers, we believe, are caused by biomine in, in the wine-making process, primarily tyramine and histamine, and also tannins. With tannins come from skin, seed, and then exaggerated tannins in commercial winemaking with oak, right. with new, new, right. new oak wood compounds. Mm-hmm. Create these big tannins, right? Mm-hmm. These are all manipulations. None of our wines use any new oak. So you get no, no tannin, you, you get no tannin communication other than the tannins from the seed and the skin and red wines, which are very minimal. Right. Our wines have very short maceration periods. Natural winemaking is a maceration from three to ten days. Commercial wines macerate for weeks, right, on skin contact. Why? Because it gives this wine more body and bigger color. Americans believe the darker a wine is, the richer the wine looks, the better it is. There's no truth to that statement at all. It has no impact on taste or quality. 
But what it does do is this long-term soak on the skins increases tannins and increases biomine like, tis, like uh, tyramine and histamine. And this is what makes people feel bad. This is what's giving them headaches. None of our wines contain any of this process or any of these compounds. Okay. And so, so we're talking about very low biomine and very low tannin. Okay. That's what's causing people to feel bad. That's why our wines are hangover-free. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, so you mentioned sulfites. What are sulfites? Well, sulfites are naturally occurring in all grapes. So it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a compound that occurs in all grapes. So and there's not a wine on the planet that doesn't have some sulfites. They're naturally occurring. But, but here's, here's, here's what, where sulfites come from in commercial winemaking. 99 and put all the nines you want on it contain SO2, which is sulfur dioxide. It's an additive. Mm -hmm. It's used for two reasons. First, it's used as a preservative, right? But remember, there's sulfites that are naturally occurring in wine up to about 75 parts per million, which is how how sulfites are measured in wine, in parts per million, right? Just like mycotoxins, which are measured in parts per billion. So if you follow Dave Asprey, you know he's like Mr. Mold and uh, Mr. Mycotoxin. And his primary concern with mycotoxins is the mycotoxin called ochratoxin A, right? All of our wines, 100%, are screened for mycotoxins. There is no screening in the United States for mycotoxins no limits on mycotoxins in wine or coffee, which is Dave Asprey's deal. Right. In Europe, in Europe, the coffee standard for mycotoxins is five parts per billion. Right? In wine, it's two parts per billion. Yeah. In the US, no, no limit, right. no screening, right. no standard. Period. Right? So the, so our wines are also mold and mycotoxin free. Let's go back to sulfites for just a second. Yeah. So sulfites, the U.S. limit on sulfites is 350 parts per million, right? Commercial wines typically range from, oh, 125 to 150 to about 250 parts per million. Our wines, none of them exceed 75 parts per million, which can be the highest point in which they're naturally occurring, and most of them are less than 20 parts per million. Now, here's what I don't personally believe, and most leading scientists do not believe, that sulfites are causing people to feel bad. I can't tell any difference in how I feel if I'm drinking 150 parts or zero. I, can't, I, I don't discern any feeling difference from a health perspective. But what it does do at the higher doses of SO2, this 100-plus parts per million, what it does do is it sucks and it kills the soul of the wine. So it removes everything living, everything soulful about the wine is killed with this preservative. Or, as we like to say, it's really a sterilizer. Now, why do they do this? The same reason they use sterile filtration on wines. Our wines are unfined and unfiltered. So sometimes they even have a little bit, they're not perfectly clear. Right. 
That's the soul. That's the <laughs> shit living in the wine, right? It's kind of like with I mean, uh, like with apple cider vinegar. You always want raw with the mother. Yeah, of course. Okay. Of course, and you know that is real. Yeah. And you know how it tastes. You can look at it, and the shit's alive, right? <laughs> That's what you want. That's what you want to drink your wine the same way, right? And so, and so this filtration and this sterilization produces what I call the McDonald's of wine, right? So it's going to taste the same every single time, right? Yeah. So it's this is consistent factory product. Right. That's what you and your listeners are drinking. This is a factory product. Okay. It's sterilized. They want this consistent idea that today's hamburger tastes like tomorrow's hamburger. Right. 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 But real wild shit doesn't work that way. <laughs> You're right. right. You're right. So that that that's so we're embracing this concept, right? How about those guns? I see that. We're embracing this concept. <laughs> we're embracing this concept that 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 life should be living and wild, right? Yeah. And kind of whole and natural. Right? The reason why I meditate. I mean, so it's like I'm in touch with the universe. You know, I'm in touch with this energy field. Right? So that that's how I drink too. Yeah. Did I tell you the story? Uh, that was that was a great answer. I love that. I've got a couple I've of questions a- that uh All right. So We've got two or three from from uh, from listeners that, that we polled before we came uh, before we sat down for this that I want to make sure awesome. I ask. Um, but I want to go back to uh, you mentioned Dave, and we're all familiar with Dave. In your experience, are there types or regions of wines that have higher amounts of mold or mycotoxins, um, or is that not something that you guys have looked at? Well, we don't we don't know in the U.S. because there's no screening for it. Do you guys screen? So, yes, 100 percent of our wines are screened for mycotoxin. Okay, and specifically ochotoxin A. Right. So, so right? in in your experience, have you noticed like are there regions or, or places, or do you guys just look and say you have to in order to be included in dry farm wines, you you can't have? They're 100 percent free. Right. So. There's not a single wine that I drink, taste, look at that 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 isn't screened for mycotoxin. Right, right. So, in the U.S., if you're drinking U.S. wines, uh, there's no screening. I couldn't tell you. I don't drink them. I don't screen them. I don't know. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I don't have any idea. Clueless. Okay. Okay. I don't drink that poison in the first place. But it, it's it's right? safe so to assume that if you're drinking a commercial wine, there's probably going to be mycotoxins in it. I, d- I don't know. I've never tested one. Okay. Couldn't tell you. Okay. I, t- I can tell you that, that, that the Europeans, that the EU believes that it's so important that every wine is screened and every wine must be free. <laughs> they believe it's important <laughs> enough to screen for it. And we, they also yeah. screen coffee. Yeah, right. U.S., n- neither. No screening, for, no, no screening on coffee or wine. Right. Right. right, Is it a problem? I don't know. Couldn't tell you. What I can tell you is that that our government does not believe it's important enough to screen for it. I do. Dave Asprey does. He screens coffee. I screen wine. Yeah. It's one of the reasons that he. Uh, it's one of the reasons that he um, endorses our product, right. um, and he knows that I'm about as crazy as he is about these fanatical processes, just like your company is. Well, and that's one of the things that I remember Dave saying very early on when I started listening to his podcast was, you know that he mentioned that five parts per billion was the the cap for the European Union with coffee. And 
you know, where do you think that coffee goes if it hits those ports and they say, oh, well, your levels are too high? You know where it goes, my friend. I know exactly right where it goes. USA. Yeah, it, it comes com- right here to America. Comes right back here to the Absolutely. U.S. <laughs> it's right here. Yeah, it comes right here. Yeah, that's exactly where it goes. Yeah, and I'm sure. That's exactly. Where it I'm goes. sure wine's the same way. Then, if we're not screening, I, I, all I can tell you is I can't make a representation about something I don't know about. I'm not going to represent something here or tell you something that I'm not absolutely 100 percent certain. I understand. I've never tested wines for it. Don't have any idea. Don't know anybody else who has. Gotcha. I can tell you the government doesn't give a shit, right? Right. And so I don't drink that poison, right? And so, yep. um, you know, that, that, uh, what's, what's, what, what, what other questions you got from the list? So I think this one, I, I think I know how this is going to play out for an answer, but just out of curiosity, uh, biggest difference between large commercial wine producers and small boutique producers. I'm going to assume based on what you said previously that there really is no difference that it's, the small boutiques are actually owned by the larger ones and they don't want you to know that. Well, not all of them. I mean, in fairness. So here's the way I represent that. What's the difference between a factory product and a small factory product? Okay. <laughs> okay. So I live in the heart of the Napa Valley. I live on a, the edge of a thousand acres of vineyard owned by Robert Mondavi. Right. So it's a pretty glorious thing. Napa Valley wines are expensive. Average bottle price here is probably about $60, right? But wines here can go into the thousands of dollars per bottle and commonly over $100. And here's what we know. If you're drinking wine that's $150 a bottle or $15 a bottle, you're still drinking additives and chemicals. The difference is the less you pay, the more chemical you get. That's the difference. Okay, okay. The less you pay, the more chemicals you're getting. Because you can't make wine <laughs> at that price yeah. without using chemicals. So that's in any kind of in, in, in any kind of production volume. Okay. Right? That's so any of these any of these brands like Robert Mondavi or whatever, they, they produce millions of cases a year. Millions. Yeah. Right? You can't make wine like that without chemicals. You just can't. It's impossible. It's too risky. It will spoil. It's got bacteria in it. The shit just goes crazy. You can't make wine like that. Now, our guy might make a total of 3,000 cases a year, right? So, and we have to deal with hundreds of them to get enough volume. Oh, yeah. Nobody that I deal with makes over 10,000 cases a year. Nobody. So the larger you get and the more you spread this message, you're going to have supply issues, right? We will have supply issues. We'll probably end up We'll probably end up, um, we have thousands of members now. We'll probably end up closing our membership at some point in the not too distant future, right? Okay. So um, I, I don't know when that'll be. I expect it to be sometime late next year where we just won't be able to sustain our. So we're a wine club. Right. You know, so our members get regular shipments monthly or every other month, six or 12 bottles. Our, our, our members, our community are wine lovers who, you know, who drink wine on a regular basis. Some, some not as much as others. We have some customers who get as many as three cases a month. Right. Okay. So, well, that's just a bottle a day. Right. Right. So, um, and I I recommend drinking a bottle a day. That's what I do. It seems to work out great for me. Well, and that's the very next question. Uh, this, and this is the last one from the viewers, uh, or listeners. Um, how much wine is too much wine? Well, I think that depends on really two primary issues. Number one, the alcohol level, 
right? Okay. Which is the reason all of our alcohols are low. Right. You covered right? that. So I think so, so it's an alcohol level. And second of all, any amount of chemical additives and poisons that we're taking in extrogenously through these additives and adjustments and manipulations to wine, I think any is too much. So for the wine that we sell and I drink every day, I drink the same wine my customers drink right? every single day. So I'm drinking 100%, nothing in that bottle but grape juice, period. End of story, nothing. Right? Fermented, sugar-free, carb-free, low alcohol. How much is too much? Mm, for me, I think this is, this is, this is a self-quantification issue. Right. So for me, it, it's going to depend on your weight, gender, age, previous experience with alcohol, how much you drink on a regular basis, blah, 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 blah. Right? right. There's a whole lot of factors. You know, how clean you are in your nutritional programming, so on and so forth. So here's what I can tell you. For me, the right amount is about a bottle bottle and a quarter, bottle and a half, but that's over a five or six hour period. So I typically will have a glass of wine around six o'clock and then, and then I drink wine at dinner and you know, whatever my evening activities might include. Okay. Right. So I drink about a bottle or a little bit more a day. That seems to be the right amount for me where I'm able to achieve kind of this pleasant euphoria because I like getting high. Right. So it's like, so I achieve this kind of pleasant euphoria without kind of tipping over to the other side. So for me, it's about a bottle. For other people, it might be two glasses, right? It just, it just depends on, you know, who you are and what your situation is. Just like, you know, dietary programming. Well, I can't tell you ketogenic is the right diet for everybody. It's the right diet for me, and I see that it works well for many people, but it's not right for everyone, right? So you have to experiment. We're all self-quantifiers, right? right? So you experiment and see see what works for you. So, but for commercial wines, zero. Yeah. Right. Cause you're just drinking poison. Right. And that's why I don't drink commercial wine, but I am very much interested in, in drinking yours and trying yours. I'm fascinated by this concept and we actually have a, a deal for our listeners to try dry farm wines. Is that correct? We do. So, um, on the interwebs, you can find us all over the interwebs at, Dry Farm Wines on all social media. Okay. Uh, if your listeners want to contact me with any specific questions or just to chat, I can be reached at Todd, T-O-D-D, at dryfarmwines.com. And for your listeners, we have a special one penny offering. So we'll send you a bottle of wine for a penny for joining up with us. And you can find that link at dryfarmwines.com forward slash natural stacks. Again, that's dryfarmwine.com, dryfarmwines with an S.com forward slash natural stacks. So for you guys listening, if you happen to be in the car or working out or running, whatever, don't worry about trying to memorize all that. We'll have links on the show notes at naturalstacks.com. Go check out the blog. You'll be able to click uh, and go straight to those pages. Um, So Todd, you have no way of knowing this, and, and this is cool for our listeners too, but uh, the the episode either one or two weeks after you uh, is actually going to be Joel Salatin, Polyface Farms, so all the farming stuff that you talked about. He's actually about 90 minutes away from me, and I got to hang out with him last weekend at his farm, and we recorded a very cool podcast, so uh, make sure you guys 
go listen to that one as well. Um, previous episodes, we've got Memory Champions, How to Be an Expert at Everything, um, all kinds of cool stuff for you guys to go back and listen to. Make sure you're given the... Uh, uh, the iTunes reviews, five-star reviews for the Optimal Performance Podcast, and share it with anybody you know who will benefit from what we're talking about and, and doing here on the show. One more thing before we let you go, Todd. Your top three tips to live optimal. Oh, wow. Wow. The top three, the Dave Asprey clothes, how to <laughs> kick more ass in life. Yeah. Number one, greatest biohack of all time, meditation. You don't have a regular meditation practice, you should consider that very deeply. Meditation will change your adult life. Number one biohack of all time. And if you like to say, I don't have time to meditate, you need meditation the most. Right? <laughs> or time management practices. Number two, kill your fear, be bold. Right? Fear is the most limiting emotion on the planet. Right? So be bold, think large, kill your fear. Uh, number three, I'm going to give you. Uh, I'm going to give you number three. What I will call the most underrated biohack on the planet, the least practiced, and among the most powerful. I call it second to meditation. Is breath fitness. So. Breath work. I like to think of it like this. The breath is the spirit of your life. And I love the proverb, if your mind is the kite, breath is the string. Right? And so focused breath fitness, which I do in the morning for 20 minutes prior to my meditation session. Okay. And I've studied Wim Hof. I like to refer people to the, the, the best course on breath fitness is the Wim Hof method, yeah. the Iceman, the crazy Iceman, yep. who also did uh, an amazing podcast, his best podcast ever, I think, with Rich Roll uh, last week. So if you're interested in Wim Hof, he's done Tim Ferriss, the, he's, he's made the rounds. Yeah. Uh, but uh, So I think breath fitness is the most underrated and uh, the most underpracticed and it changed my life in addition to cold thermogenesis, which he also talks about. So meditation, be bitching bold, and do some breath work. I love it. Todd, this has been awesome. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us on the show. Look forward to seeing you again at Bulletproof. Uh, maybe we'll see you at, a, at another conference before then, and we'll drink some wine, hang out, and do some cool stuff. It's going to be awesome, man. Thanks so much for having me on your show today. It's just been a great time and a terrific interview. Yeah, our pleasure. All right, take care. Natural start. Start optimizing your mental and physical performance. Optimize yourself.